I'm so glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, you need to be aware of the dirty tricks debt collectors are playing and how to protect yourself. And coming up yet later, what we want done with ourselves at the time we pass away is changing so dramatically around the country. I want to talk to you how important it is for you to make sure your wishes are known by those you love who may have more traditional ideas in mind. So speaking of something that's going through a major change, I've told you about a couple of trends that may or may not be your friend. I mentioned before about how Kroger, the nation's second largest supermarket chain, has been experimenting with having digital-only prices in their stores, where items on the shelf, instead of having a permanent price label, have digital ones that can change at any time. Gas stations that are now using artificial intelligence to continually change the cost of a gallon of gasoline based on buying patterns through the 168 hours of the week. That there's not a price that's the price, that the price could continually change. Amazon now changing prices over and over again on items throughout every day. And this idea of the price being the price is done. Is the technology has gotten steadily more accessible for businesses and more affordable, the idea of optimizing prices that originally came from the airline industry with what's known as dynamic demand pricing is spreading just about anywhere and everywhere. But one of the most unusual parts of this, of dynamic demand pricing, is that your loyalty to a company may reward you with higher prices, not lower. And so what I recommend to you is that when you're shopping for something online, that you use private browsing. It's called different terms by different browsers. Uh, Chrome calls it private browsing. Um, Firefox, I forget what their term is for it. Incognito, maybe, or maybe, maybe it's it's vice versa that Google's incognito and that the other's private browsing or whatever. But the idea is, let's say you are shopping for something online and you see a price for it and in your normal search, if you then go into a private browsing session or incognito mode or whatever, you may well see a different price. I have found that with one of the major airlines, that if I sign into my account with them, I see higher prices than I do if I go anonymously to search at that airline's website. The difference in one-way fare 
tends to be between $30 and $60. And it doesn't happen occasionally. It happens over and over again that I am punished for loyalty, not rewarded. So know that pricing is a moving target. A lot of people are in a hurry. You're not that focused on price. Know that there is a penalty for that now, that you will, in fact, pay more money. And I know a lot of people with Amazon use Camel, Camel, Camel and similar services to track prices. And that's really great because if you're a big Amazon shopper, the prices on an individual item do move continually. And your greatest enemy for your wallet on Amazon is one click to purchase. Because if you're not taking the time to comparison shop, you are going to end up paying more money. And if you're just a convenient shopper, that's fine. But you're going to see also another industry that's late to this party is going to get into it because of consultants that are presenting to restaurants the idea that they should go to electronic and variable pricing. I'm talking about sit-down restaurants, that variable pricing will become part of what they do because the truth is, if you are sitting in a restaurant on, let's say, a Tuesday night at 5.30, you are filling a seat that very well might be empty otherwise. On the other hand, sitting in that same restaurant on a Friday night or Saturday night during peak dining hours, that's a time they're going to probably be full anyway if it's a, even a moderately successful restaurant. That seat on a Friday or Saturday night should be more valuable and maybe what you pay for the meal should be more expensive. Or if you look at it in reverse, if you're price sensitive and they offer you a better deal a different day of the week or different time of the week, then you should be able to grab that and the reality is, and this is why economics is a dismal science, ultimately, better deals can be had by people and businesses become more profitable when they go to variable pricing. And get ready, because it's definitely coming. Benjamin's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Benjamin. Hey, Clark. So here's what's going on. I live in Miami, Florida, and homeowner's insurance here is really stupid expensive. Um, It's mostly the wind portion of the policy. So my my coverage is really poor, and the deductible is really high. My cousin, he's a contractor for the federal government, and he was telling me that if there's ever a disaster like a hurricane or a tornado, that the feds will come in and, and just make me whole. So I did some searching on the internet, and it looks like he's, he's probably right. I'm going to be paying off my mortgage this year, and I wanted to cancel the wind coverage in my insurance policy. What are your thoughts on that? So what happens when you become self-insured like that is that you then are reliant on the federal government not giving you money, but making you an ultra-low-interest loan. 
historically, after a named storm, money is made available to you at a 2% interest rate on a disaster loan to rebuild your home. And the terms are very favorable, obviously, at 2%. And if I recall, usually you're allowed up to 30 years to pay it back. That's an entirely different scenario than with the ultra-expensive and high-deductible name storm wind insurance that you buy right now. So with that, do you know how high your deductible is on your current um, homeowner's policy? They, they go by a percentage of the property value, and I'm not sure if it was the property value when I purchased the home or if, if it's whatever they assess the value to be. At yeah, the whatever, whatever your insurance coverage is at this point, whatever the stated amount is, Usually on most Florida policies, if it's a named storm, you have a 5% deductible once it's a named storm. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. So I'm, I'm familiar with the, the loans that you're talking about. I, I did see that on, on the federal website, and my cousin told me about those as well. But he also mentioned that they have grants. And if you read, if you read on the, the federal disaster website, they talk about grants also. And that's what he's saying that I would probably qualify for, that these adjusters, they just come out and they, they write you a check. So it's not a free lunch because the amount of money that you'll get will not replace your home. If you, if you are in a situation after a named storm where there are grants made available, you better hope that the storm is very close to an election day. Because that's when, the, <laughs> seriously, that's when the grants are the most generous is when it's close to an election day and the politicians think it might tip the balance in an election. But outside of that political consideration, you're not going to get big money from a grant. So your advice is don't rely on a grant. So sh should I continue to, to pay the, the astronomical insurance or should I? Gosh, should I it's a tough call. All right. So let's say... Uh, you went to your insurer and said, all right, what would you charge me if I took um, a much larger deductible? Versus instead of you, because in your example, what we were talking about, so you're responsible for the first 5%, the insurance pays the other 95%. Versus going to a circumstance where you have 100% responsibility. That's a big leap. What if instead you looked at potentially lowering your premiums by seeing if your insurer will quote you a policy with a higher deductible so that you don't leave yourself 100% exposed to the whims of what storm may come along? I see. Because okay, think, think about what we're talking about here. So we're talking about 5% versus 100% in the scenario you laid out to me. Well, I'm also paying thousands and thousands. I mean, I have a, a $5,000 insurance bill every year, and 3000 of that is the win portion of the policy. Right. And that's because there's an enhanced risk. I mean, you look at, you look at the geography of where you are in Miami, and you know how destructive storms can be. I just oh, yeah. ask anybody who was there in 92 during, 92 was Andrew, right? I was here just two years ago in Irma, and that was a mess. Okay, so that's why the insurance premiums are so high, and that's why most insurers want nothing to do with insuring a property in Florida because the exposure is so great. 
And so if they're afraid of the risk, do you really want to be in a position where you uh, are relying on what the government might make available to you or not? So as much as you hate writing that check, I'm going to encourage you to keep writing that check for the homeowner's insurance premium. You've worked hard to become mortgage debt free. I want you to maintain the value of what you have there in the aftermath of a storm. And maybe the compromise is you punch that deductible up if your insurer will do it. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is a special warning for you. You may owe no one money but end up with a judgment against you from a debt collector. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. There are debt collection mills popping up all over the United States. And the way these things work is these high-volume law firms either buy debts directly or working on behalf of debt collectors who bought debts, file suits en masse against people who may not ever owe a debt, maybe beyond what's known as statute of limitations, meaning that um, it's too many years to sue against, whatever. They sue everybody. Even if they have no proper documentation, even if they're suing the wrong person, it could be someone with a similar name or whatever, and they win almost 100% of the time. And guess why they win almost always? Because people don't respond. That's right. You get served with a suit notice, and you're like, oh, that's not me. I don't know that. I never borrowed money from those people. What is this about? And they don't do anything about it. Or they're intimidated by it. Answer it. Say, I do not owe any such debt. I have never been a borrower from whoever. And you send it back certified mail. And then there's a court date. You show up for that court date. And you tell the judge you never had any such debt. I read a story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about the abuses of people with this around the United States. And it is absolutely something that would make you sick. But what's going on right now is these mass production law firms are not validating or verifying any debt. They're just suing against all of them. They're not validating or verifying that you are the individual who actually did owe a debt. But they're suing whoever has a name, same or similar, because all they want is they want the judgment where they can then garnish your wages or seize money from your checking account or whatever. And if you do not show up, you're toast. Depending on the state, these may be being heard in small claims courts or they may be heard in some kind of magistrate court or something like that. And... The judges are faced with hundreds of these, maybe in a single session. You have to be prepared. You have to be the one who stands up for yourself. Because if you don't, you could be essentially giving ill-gotten gains to a law firm through a judgment that is money that you never owed. 
or that you did owe and you paid, or that could have been set aside in a bankruptcy, or that could be outside statute of limitations, any of a number of possibilities other than you owe whatever crazy amount they say you owe. This is an absolutely Clark-rageous issue. It is an abuse of the law. It is an abuse of justice. And if you do not stand up for yourself and show up to defend yourself, justice will be denied and a judgment will be issued. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our main website, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask. All right, here's an ask for you. Who knows what you'd like to have happen with you at the time you would pass away? Okay, so none of us are immortal. We're going to pass away at some point. But most of the time, it's an uncomfortable thought. So we don't tell anybody what we want to have happen at the time we pass away. And what Americans want is going through the most rapid change in a very short period of time ever. It used to be like nobody was cremated. Now it's more than half of people. And I saw a prediction recently that more than 80% of people will likely be cremated in the next 15 years. That the idea of a traditional funeral with a burial, with a casket, that that is fading into oblivion. The other thing I learned from my oldest brother, who lived for decades in Arizona where the changes in what people wanted came sooner than they did in a lot of the rest of the country. I think a lot of it had to do with people who had lived elsewhere and moved to Arizona later in life. And so they, they really thought differently about what to have happen. One of the things that is common that I've learned from my brother is that people will have Nobody ever says memorial service, funeral, anything like that anymore. They all talk about celebrations of life. That's all they call them. And they have no relationship to when the loved one passes away. So it could be six months later, two weeks later, three days later, but usually several months later. Because since the individual is being cremated, in most of the cases, there's no specific timeline that leads to an immediate funeral. And so this is the kind of stuff that's happening. And I recommend that you put down in writing what it is you want to have happen at the time you pass away. And that you make sure you give that to somebody who's the likely somebody who would be the one you would want to make the arrangements for you, whether it's a family member, a friend, whoever, who's going to handle the arrangements. And if you want something that's, you want a jazz band, or you want um, people to get up and tell funny things that happened that they remembered about you, 
whatever it is you want, state it. If you, on the other hand, are very traditional and you want to be buried and you want to be in this kind of casket and there's a family plot wherever and you want um, these arrangements made and these songs played and you want a traditional uh, religious funeral, whatever it is you want, just say it. Because it's impossible in most cases for the people who love you and care about you to know what it is you'd want if you don't tell them. And although the average cost of a funeral in the United States is apparently topping somewhere around 10 grand now, the truth is that if you're doing what now a majority of people are doing, you're doing a cremation, and you do it through your state memorial society, you're going to spend a tiny, tiny fraction of that, or actually your survivors will. And so I recommend that as you think through this and you plan for something that it's inevitable, I'm sorry, it's going to happen, going to happen to me, going to happen to Joel, going to happen to Kim, going to happen to you, check out funerals.org and see if there's an affiliate near you. These are nonprofit organizations that use group buying power to get you a deal and make sure your survivors know you joined your local funeral society so they will get a deal is for me i don't even want to spend the money for cremation i want to give my body to science so i don't cost my family anything when i pass away And if I got anything that's valuable for somebody else, they want my eyes, they want my organs, whatever, I want them to have them so that they're useful to somebody else when they're no longer of any use to me. Nancy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Clark. How's it going? Very fine. Sorry I was talking about such a morbid topic. That's quite all right. I'm already pre-prepared. All right. (laughs) And hopefully you're not going to need anything for many, many, many decades to come, right? That's what we're hoping for, yes. Right. What I need now, though, is our TSA and global entry are about to, we need to renew them. But there's so many other services now, and I'm wondering what's really worth the bang for the buck. I'm a big believer in global entry. And I don't understand why, well, it is the federal government, why they set up this confusing thing of pre-check and nexus and global entry and all that. But uh, global entry is such a deal because it's $2 more a year than pre-check and gets you back in the United States so quickly. You know, some of the immigration lines for people flying back in the United States have topped three hours recently. Whoa. And I just used my global entry to enter back into the country, and it took about 90 seconds to check myself back into the U.S. So you pay, all you do is you pay, um, is it my right? Is it 17 a year what is it now for five years of global entry is it 85 or 100 have you seen what your renewal is nancy no i don't know it offhand 
Um, it is, it's just minimal amount more than pre-check and gets you in addition to the uh, usually quicker security lines makes a massive difference when you travel internationally. Do you ever travel internationally, like over a five-year period? Yes, that's what we're doing right now. Okay, so it's 100 for global entry. So it's 20 a year, and pre-check must be 85. I must have pre-check cheaper than I thought. So for the tiny additional amount, definitely global entry. What's the mobile passport app? So mobile passport app, very good question. Mobile passport app's a free app you download to your phone, and you do some of the stuff on your phone that you would do at the global entry terminal. And because you have already entered yourself electronically in the system, it will usually get you through immigration quicker than you'd get through immigration with just a normal paper form. But it's not going to be the quick, quick thing where with global entry, you've been through a background check, you've had a face-to-face interview, and you just come back in the country at near light speed. So um, mobile passport is good because it's free, but it's irregular how quick it will be. Have you had any experience with clear? Yes, I've been a clear member for years, and that's because I fly virtually every week. And with clear, clear lets you jump the pre-check line for security. Oh. So it's a biometric, and it's very expensive for clear, which probably uh, upsets people who know how thrifty I am that I would pay for it. But what it does is they do biometrics. They have a, a scan of my eyeballs. They have my fingerprints. And I go to the terminal, and it first tries to read my fingerprints. When it fails with that, it then does my eyes. And then it um, says I'm okay, I'm clear. And then I go straight up to the belt to put my stuff on the belt. So, But I only recommend clear because depending on how you join clear, uh, we have a family membership, so it effectively costs me around an extra $70 a year versus what I paid for global entry. You need to be somebody who's flying a lot. I'm on airplanes probably more than 100 times a year. Yeah, so for me, I can see joining clear. For a lot of people, it's a lot of money if you fly occasionally, not all the time. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Mike. Uh, You have a question about your business that hopefully I can be of help to you on. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. And I just want to tell you, I really have, I've been listening to you for probably about 20 years and the uh, knowledge that you put out there is just phenomenal. It's a great resource. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a small company. We've got a total of six employees and we recently switched to um, one of the nation's large payroll providers. And Prior to that, we were looking at starting a simple IRA, and their suggestion is to go with a 401k or a Roth 401k. And I know that there's a lot more plan fees with that, um, and I'm just not sure that that's the right fit. Um, So that's kind of what I was calling to get your your take on that. So uh, we use a payroll service for my company as well, for Clark Howard, Inc., and I have another corporate entity as well. And so we use 
a one of the big national payroll services, and I do use their 401k. They make available very low-cost Vanguard funds through their plan. And yep. so for the employees, the cost is very, very low, like uh, not uh, just about what a big company with massive numbers of employees would be able to offer their employees in a 401k. And that's the good side for the employees. I have made the choice to absorb all the administrative costs for the plan so that we would be able to have one that would feel equivalent to, let's say, a 50,000-person company, even though I have 20-something people on the plan. So I'm falling on the sword so they can have a really affordable plan. A lot of employers can't afford to absorb all those administrative fees. So the alternative that I've been recommending is Betterment. Have you looked at Betterment? I've heard of them. I'm not uh, super familiar with the plans they offer, but I have heard of them. So they have a business 401k plan, and the fees tend to be uh, somewhere between uh, very low, like a tenth of a point, more often somewhere like half a point. Okay. So is that kind of the range I should be looking in? Because I know that with this provider, um, you know, they do have the Vanguard funds, which themselves have very low fees. I think that, and this is just off the top of my head, but the cost for them to administer the plan per year is going to be somewhere around 2500 to 3000 Yeah. So I don't know that they're referring to it in the sense of points, but maybe I, I didn't read that much. No, that. no. So you're paying them for doing what's called a prototype plan, handling all the filings for you. And so you have to be willing to absorb that several thousand dollars. And that's what I've done. And I think, too, just because they're running our payroll and they'll handle the, you know, sending the checks into everybody's accounts and stuff, there's, you know, some costs that the savings that we would have from them doing that that would be beneficial. Well, what's so great is if you offer a plan with Vanguard funds, you're really offering your employees a great, great plan. And you're making yeah. it possible for them to build up money for their future. And I'm so extreme about wanting my employees to save. I automatically enroll them. And then I match the first, I'm trying to remember if I'm doing 6% or 7% of their pay, dollar for dollar. So I'm pretty extreme on this because I want them to be in the habit of saving money for their future. And all these are decisions you can make if you offer a match, if you absorb the administrative costs or you pass them on to the employees, and particularly if you go with low-cost funds, which I always want you to do for your employees. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ned's with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Ned, we were just talking minutes ago with an employer trying to offer a small group 401k. You want to talk about an exotic form of IRA. What are you thinking of doing? Hi, Clark. Um, yeah, I I have a, a decent amount of money in a 401k combination uh, annuities and 401k. And um, I was thinking about the self-directed IRA and, and you know, buying real estate and rehabbing it and either renting it or, or flipping it. Um, and the advantage I thought was one thing is if you flipped it within a year, you normally would have to pay capital gain tax. But if you um, have it in an IRA, you don't have to pay any tax until you take it out. And that is true. About the, yeah. I was just worried about the, the reliabilities of the companies sure. and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not a fan of the self-directed IRAs for having money in real estate. You gave a perfect example of why someone would do it, and that's to shelter from current taxation. But one of the disadvantages is that a self-directed IRA, when you ultimately take money out of it, is taxed as ordinary income, where in the event you you buy a property, you rehab it, you sell it after a year, you're going to be taxed at capital gains tax rates, which are much lower than ordinary income tax. So real estate has so many inherent uh, tax benefits to it that you give up when you own real estate inside a self-directed IRA. The the only advantage to me would be that you know, right now I don't really have the cash in in a. I mean, what, why would it be different, uh, Clark? If if I if I put the if I have money in the stock market and the stock market does better, right? And then right. I take the money and I, you know I have money in IRA and the IRA is is growing tax free, right? And then yeah. I take the money out of the IRA and I have to pay tax on it, but it it grew tax free. Right, but you're you're having to pay ordinary income tax, which is the same argument with a 401k in stocks. So the difference is that um, a self-directed IRA has a lot of high administrative costs. One of the reasons that I tend to discourage people from doing this self-directed IRA, because you do have, you've got a number of rules you have to follow, and those are expensive to administer, and that's why what you have to pay to be in a self-directed IRA geared towards real estate is a pretty expensive way for you to do real estate investing. It's not my favorite idea. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.